Podcasting with Kerry Jones. There's no question that this week's guest has fishing in his veins since his young boy. Soon catching fish at his parents' trout fishery, Martin Heath, in Cheshire. He has gained both England Lockstyle International and Bank International Cups, and in 2019, he was top rod and individual champion, which was held in Ireland. Most of his work in life, he has taught countryside management at Stafford College. But today, is editor of UK's leading trout fishing magazine, Today's Fly Fisher. Welcome to my chat with Andy Taylor. Hello, Andy. Hello, Kerry. How was your weekend? Yeah, it was. Uh, it was good. I was just sort of thinking um, on um, Saturday. Yeah. That sort of this time last year. You know, I was in chat talking to Kevin Porteous and James Views and one or two of us about looking at, uh, you know, doing going away somewhere, you know, either going for the sea trout in sort of Denmark or going to somewhere slightly warmer and fishing for some, you know, exotic species on the fly. You know, we were sort of planning and looking into all that. And obviously COVID's come. And, you know, for me recently, I, I've joined the local fishing club here, you know, 35 quid a year, um, course fishing club. Oh, yeah. And I've been out on their, their waters. And I suppose in the last six months, I've done more exploring on my local doorstep I know. than I ever have done in my life. Yeah. And I thought about it. We went on the pit of the river south the other day. And it was absolutely fantastic. you know. And I'm sort of thinking, God, I'd love to run a, a pipe fly through here. And we got some water where the back of the sort of sewage works, where there's a sort of bit of an inlet. And you think, God, I'd love to nymph through there and see if I can catch chub and stuff. And I, I, and I stood there. And watch the sort of buzzards fly past and, 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 and the sort of crows and, and the jackdaws sort of going to roost and the herons coming to feed. And I thought, you know, I could have spent thousands going somewhere. I know. And I spent 38 quid. And I've had a flipping superb time exploring stuff on my doorstep, you know. And uh, like I said, we had, we had, me and Jack, we had probably maybe a couple of hours, just the last couple of hours before it went dark on, on the river. And it was flipping brilliant. Absolutely brilliant it was. Yeah, it's overlooked, isn't it? I done the same thing, you know, for the first couple of weeks, I was just going for walks, you know, different places. And even then you realise, geez, I didn't know this place existed. But then, yeah. Yeah. you know, when we were allowed to, there's, I've come across this lake and I'm keeping it really quiet. And it's, you know, it's a fair walk to get there. But I call it my lake now, you know. Oh, it's like a jewel. Yeah. And there's trout in there. Yeah. I was having trout up to pound and a half. And I didn't even know it existed. Mm-hmm. Today is the first day of our lockdown restriction. What do they call it? Um, the fire break ends. Yeah, you can go out now. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. this afternoon, maybe for a couple of hours, I'll, have, um, I'll head up into the lake. What's, nice. it, what's it with well, you now? You, can you fish there with you in England? Well, at the moment, we can fish. So, I mean, I spent yesterday sort of guiding because I, I can still do that on a one-to-one basis. Um, so you can fish because it's, it's classed as a... A suitable form of exercise and 
obviously most of, most of the fisheries are, are still open. Some have reopened. They, they announced, like Elodine, for example, announced it's closing, and then suddenly decided, well, you know, we can we we can reopen. So I think the majority here have reopened, but are sticking to, you know, like Anglian Water, for example, reopened and said fishing could go ahead. Then suddenly um, changed and said you can only fish off a bank. We're not doing any boat fishing, which I get. Just, you know, you can't really say motoring around on a boat is is a form of exercise. And I suppose if it stopped people from sailing and doing that kind of stuff on there, then you can't have two guys out in the boat fishing. Yeah. Um, so there seems to be a mixed bag. But yeah, I mean, my dad's fishery is open. Uh, it was it was interesting that the day before lockdown, which is the Wednesday, it was really busy. Uh, on the Thursday, only one person turned up, and I was there yesterday with a couple of clients, one in the morning, one in the afternoon, and uh, there was probably only half a dozen people there anyway. You know, so I think what's what may have happened is that some people may not be aware that they can go, and I think there's quite probably quite a few people who have made the decision not to go and to sort of stay at home. Yeah, I think what happened with us, you know, we we weren't allowed to to fish but we weren't allowed to travel far out of the area. So, yeah. you know, you had to be yeah. within, I don't know, I think it was, they said, I think it was about something daft, like four miles, which is, you know, it's not many places for most people within yeah. four miles. But I don't know if that's the same restrictions there. You're allowed to travel, because in Wales now, you're allowed to travel anywhere in Wales from today. How long that's going to be, I don't know. Yeah, I, did, I just saw on the news, but yeah, from what I can gather here, you can travel you know, to, to, to partake in some form of outdoor recreation. Now, I think, you know, my interpretation is that, is that people should use it for common sense. Now, would I drive all the way to Grafham for some exercise? The answer is no, so I shouldn't be going there to fish. But yeah. if I drove to Loynton, five miles from my house, and that's fine, you know, yeah. I drove to Lullardine, you know, so I think it's just using that, people using the common sense, you know. Yeah. Um, I suppose if, if you live in the centre of Manchester, I mean, you've got to drive out, you know, to, to, to obviously to, if you're going to go on fish and exercise. So, you know, it, I suppose it's very hard to, I suppose, put a time or mileage restriction on it because, you know, not all people live close to some form of, you know, certainly commercial trout fishery. You know, it's not accessible for everyone. No. Um, I don't know these restrictions but, are for the best, but it, it's hard to take sometimes when, like for us anglers, to think that is probably the best pastime or sport for social distancing you can do. You know, because you don't uh, want anyone yeah. within two metres of you. You want to be further away from them. But, you know, yes. so I'm going to take, I'm going to make the most of this next week, maybe two weeks, because I don't think it's going to be for long. I'm sure there'll be another lockdown again, probably. Well, I did see briefly somewhere this morning that they said about, obviously, you know, what, what's happening in Wales. It'll be two weeks to not to see what impact it's had. So in two weeks' time, yeah. you know, the, the Welsh sort of Assam government who, you know, should be saying, okay, well, the two-week fire break was a success because this happened for, you know, two-week fire break made no fucking difference. You know, yeah. so there should be some data in two weeks' time to see that's what, this, the, the, what I saw this morning. You know, you would think that it would be the same with, with England, that there should be, you know, once we've had this four-week break, you know, that there should be some form of data in three or four weeks' time. Now, well, I suppose I look at my interpretation of what's happening here in, you know, gloomy old Stafford. Um, it's, you know, they, 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 you just don't, after sort of, you know, eight o'clock at night, 
you know, you, you hear very few cars at the road. It's almost like people, you know, the, the, what's happened with the lockdown is, is people seem to be continuing as normal, you know, apart from, I suppose, between the hours of 8 p.m. or 7 p.m. Yeah, the social times. In the morning. Yeah. You know, so, um, you know, obviously with all the pubs and restaurants and all that kind of stuff being closed, you just don't see or hear the traffic, people walking, all that kind of stuff, you know. I mean, yeah. it's, uh, but in the daytime, if you go to Tesco's or, you know, wherever, you know, like I walk at the back of my house as a nature reserve and I walk around there and, you know, that's gone as busy as ever again, you know, so. I noticed, yeah. Up, it's, 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 you know, I mean, like, it's superb because my, my garden's, Hundred meters long. I live in an old sort of nineteen thirties, forties semi-detached. It backs onto some balance lakes, and then it backs onto a trail, which takes me all the way to Doxy Marshes. Well, if you've ever been up and down the M6, you'd have seen Doxy Marshes off the M6. It's a quite a big nature reserve, you know. So, uh, yeah, you know, and within that, I mean, I've just had a, a mate of mine just just text me and said, "I'm going up to onto Doxy pike fishing. Do you want to come up?" So he's He's, he's gone up uh, swinging a fly around. I said, well, I can't because I've got this podcast to do. Otherwise, I might have sneaked up for an hour. Yeah. You know, but that's sort of within walking distance. And I suppose, you know, this lockdown is, is, is sort of, for me, you know, I've done more course fishing than I have done for years because, you know, I've stayed local. And I flipping enjoyed it. Really enjoyed yeah. it. Yeah. I, the thing is, I, I think a lot of people, a lot of anglers, if they had a 100-metre garden, they'd be digging a hole, filling it with water, <laughs> And casting a line on it every day. Yeah. Well, I've got a pond in here. Heron spends most of his time on it now. But, uh, yeah, I sometimes think about that when I'm pushing that lawnmower up and down it. I but, bet. Uh, at least it, uh, it ups my step count for the day. Push the lawnmower up and down. Yeah. And get to, well, thanks get for joining me biggest. this morning. I know you're busy because, you know, you've got so many things going on. Uh, we're not going to be short of anything to talk about. You know, you, you've got the fishery. You've got your coaching, you've got the magazine, which everyone knows you for, and also you've got the work for the Angling Trust as well, don't you? Tell me more about yeah. the fishery, how you started. So the fishery, um, my parents were uh, dairy farmers, and many, many, many years ago, they were in a position to buy the farm off, off the estate. So they bought this, um, my dad was a farmer, dairy farmer, so he bought... Um, this, this sort of 50-acre dairy farm off the local estate. And, you know, I always remember my dad say, you know, at the time, he thought it was the worst movie ever made. You know, and I think now he probably looks back and thinks it was the best movie ever made. So we were dairy farmers to start off with. And then in the 80s, we sort of, you know, we were in this position of dairy farming and butter and milk mountains. And, you know, the government were keen for farmers to diversify. So my grandfather was a, a fly angler. I liked a little bit of fishing. We've got um, this field, which was routinely very, very wet. So we made a decision to dig a, a trout lake out. So we had an advisor out. Um, he came and advised us in, in terms of what to do. My dad was a keen sort of conservationist. He wanted to create something which, you know, was for fishing, but also was for wildlife and for the environment. So we dug this uh, acre and a half, two acre lake out, planted it all up put some trout in and it was you know it was really really successful so about four or five years later we won out um so got a different contractor in took a second lake out you know and again that sort of took off we got a little coarse lake on, on the farm so shortly after that we decided to sort of extend the little coarse lake and uh, produce this beautiful lily sort of lined one acre lake which we fill with Prussian carp and tench and carp so it was almost like a 
the Mr. Crabtree kind of pool where um, it was a, a beautiful lake. And that got going. And then in 2000, um, we created a third trout lake, so um, which we dug ourselves. By that time, sort of uh, demand for topsoil and, uh, you know, had gone. So we tried to sort of, you know, um, save a little bit of money, decided that um, we'd hire the machinery and, and we, we dug it ourselves. So we were, my dad would be on the digger, I'd be on the dump truck, my brother would be on the dozer and, and we'd sort of hire the equipment and we, we, we set about it ourselves really. So so from sort of 2000, we had uh, three trout lakes, one about an acre and a half, one about two acres and one about two and a half acres. You know, it just meant that the anglers could spread around a little bit more, there was more room and we could offer something slightly different. So one of the lakes is sort of, um, it's got a low stocking density to make it a little bit more challenging. The other yeah. two lakes are, you know, quite heavily stocked. So you're sort of catering for those people who are just starting off and along with those who want to catch a few fish. So, you know, and that was probably now 30 years ago. Wow. I'm that now. Were you a fisherman before uh, you decided to set up the lakes, the family? So I was probably 13 or 14 then. And I suppose like with most of the, the, the lads in the village, we used to go around different sort of farmer's pits, you know, fishing. So we'd go up to Shufflebottom's pit and go and catch some cruising car. And we'd go across to Fletcher's pit and go and catch some rudd and roach. And then we'd go to Newton's pool and catch some big carp. So as kids, you know, with all the people in the village, we used to go out and fish all these different uh, pits and pools because back then, you know, as a sort of 13, 14 year old lad, you know, apart from kicking a football around, you know, living in the sticks, there wasn't a lot else to do. So fishing was one of the main activities that, you know, people in the village sort of got, got involved in. And yeah. uh, so I, I course fish, but my grandpa was, was a, a fly angler and he would take me, He when he came up to, to, to Cheshire, you know, he would take me out to the, you know, two or three sort of local trout fisheries. And I suppose back then it was, you know, he'd cast it out and I'd pull it back. You know, and eventually I sort of, you know, with the, with the trout lakes, you know, learned to cast and got myself going. And, you know, having a trout lake 500 metres from your house, there's, there's nothing better. You know, I could go whenever I wanted and, you know, you'd pick the sort of uh, mines and uh, flies of those people that were coming and fishing and catching fish. And for me, it was it was a major sort of fast track in terms of yeah. developing my, my skill from, you know, never having a fly rod or fly fish before to suddenly you know, being able to cast a nice line and, and understand fly fishing through learning from the people that were going there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Do you still course fish? I still course fish now, but I did have a break probably for 10 or 12 years. Uh, I, one of my friends from back home is a carp angler, and I suppose over the last 10 or 12 years since I've had kids, I would go with him once or twice a year, uh, yeah. more social than anything else. But in the last 12 months, I've done more course fishing than I ever have done because of COVID, because of yeah. lockdown and, and using venues local to me. And for me, it's it's easier for my two young boys, one who's eight and one who's 13, to get to grips with course fishing. And I suppose the excitement of, of course, you know, and to go through some of the things that I, I used to love. So going back to fishing those those pits, you know, where you were, you were fishing for cruising carp and, you know, then going to another pit where you were catching roach and the excitement of, you know, seeing carp of five, six, seven, eight pounds come milling around your float for a piece of lunch in me. I think what I've done in the last six months in particular is to take my two boys through, you know, the excitement that I had, you know, yeah. when you sort of sat in the bank and you can see a carp tail, you know, in the, in the water, you know, it's head down and it's 
messing around your float and next thing the float disappeared. And, yeah. You know, my two in particular, they just see that excitement. You can see it in them. You can see that the, the sort of excitement of, you know, is this car going to be two pound? Is it going to be ten pound? And when is that float going to disappear? When it does, you know. Yeah, I, I worked at uh, a couple of fisheries myself over the years, and I used to finish sort of my shift or whatever, like six, seven o'clock sometimes, and then it'd be nothing better than just to grab a float rod, going down to the, the lake with just some sweet corn, and just sit there and watch a float and seeing the tench bubbles coming around and fizzing, and every yeah. now and again, you see the bigger bubbles, next thing the carp takes and just breaks, you just, but it's like, it's visual, it's exciting, you know, and what I've noticed Coarse anglers, which has turned to fly fishing, they make great anglers because they're into the delicate approach and they, yes. they, they end up to be really good, knowledgeable fly anglers. Yeah, I, I agree with that. And I, I certainly, um, you know, when I worked for DHP, um, with Total Fly Fisher, and I'd sit and, uh, you know, alongside the editors of other magazines, and you'd talk to them and you listen to how their approach to their different types of fishing and certainly the, the match fishing guys the pole fishing guys you know and how sort of fine and delicate they're fishing and i learned quite a lot from that because i suppose sometimes my approach would be you know i'd start with a leader when i was fly fishing which would be eight pound breaking straight yeah. well you know i'm not getting the take so i'll drop down i'll drop down to six now or you know and then i'll drop down to five their approach was the opposite you know they started fine and if they got broke then they stepped up yeah and i suppose that's something I, i've learned that Within fly fishing, you know, I'll start with a nowadays with, with, with the finest leader I think that I can get away with, you know, and then step it up. I suppose it was like a natural progression when you, you know, you've got a fishery as a family business to go into the country management and the fishery management. So you went to college or something then, did you? So, yeah, after doing A-levels at school, I suppose like most young uh, lads have had enough education. I, I wanted to do something. I wanted to earn some money. Um, and my dad sort of persuaded me to sort of say, well, you know, rather than go and get a job, why don't you go and get an education and, and do something that you're going to enjoy doing? And my dad pushed me down the sort of the ranger route. And um, I can remember at school um, doing some work experience with an accountant and, you know, sort of getting dressed up in a shirt and tie and being, you know, in an office between nine and five. And, you know, I, I thought back then, I thought, well, this is not really for me. Uh-huh. Um, and then I did a, a couple of weeks' work experience with a ranger. I really enjoyed it. And I suppose when it came to 18, I still wanted to earn some money. I always used to tell my students this when I, when I was teaching that, um, you know, I went for an interview in, with an estate agent in Levensham in Manchester as an 18-year-old just finishing his A-levels. And um, I can remember getting dressed up, shirt and tie, going on the train to Levensham, getting off, going for the interview, coming out of the office on a sort of winter's uh, evening, you know, sort of four or five o'clock. And I knew then this wasn't for me. You know, I couldn't see myself getting train and driving to, you know, an estate agent sitting in, 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 in wearing a you know a shirt and tie doing a job I didn't want to do. Um, yeah. And I made that decision then to try and get into university late, which I did do. And I did a degree in countryside management. And my first job for all those years ago now it was, was, it was a, as a ranger for Macclesfield Borough Council. I did that for five years. So I was a, you know, a countryside ranger managing a, a ranger site you know, in the, in the Macclesfield. And, you know, back then it, it was great. You know, I loved it. And then sort of my career 
changed as I saw a job come from teaching and teaching countryside management to FE level, and that, that was my next career move. And for 16 years, pretty much on a full time basis, I, I taught countryside management and fishery management to you know um, young people, mainly between the age of 16 and 18, and one or two um, slightly older students who wanted a change in career. And that's what I did for 18 years. And again, I, I love that. I suppose you know, I look back on my working career and, I, and I've been so lucky to have made a, you know, a career out of my hobby, you know, and I almost have been paid on a daily basis to, to do stuff I'm, I'm passionate about and I love. Yeah. Um, yes, yeah, so I've been, I've been looking that way. My, my home upbringing, sort of being on a farm and being out in the countryside and obviously seeing the fishery developed, you know, was, was a sort of good, you know, sounding, but that career I've sort of, uh, you know, I've been involved in for the last sort of, 20, 30 years. Yeah, there's very few people can make money out of what they love and enjoy. I think um, you're blessed if you can do that. Yeah, so, you know, and I, I think back to, you know, some of the projects I've been involved in, certainly with, with, with you know, within, with the students and with the, you know, the, the range of work. And, you know, I look back now and, and even with my kids, we would, we would we go to different sites and, I, you know, I sort of say, well, you know, see these steps here, you know, I put these in with a, a group of students 10 years ago and, you know, see this is this woodland here. Well, you know, I planted this with you know students from whenever. So, you know, it's it, it's good to see, and you know, on that line, it's also good to see that some of those students that we've taught over the years, you know, are in jobs now with the Environment Agency and the Canal and Rivers Trust, and you know, on fisheries and fish farms. So, it, it's good to have been involved in something, you know, which has changed someone else's life as well. Yeah. Good. Moving on to the fishing, you you do like your competition fishing, don't you? I noticed you've um, done both lock style and the the bank teams over the years. Yeah, so competition fishing was something that I got involved in again. Probably would have been, would have been sixteen or seventeen, and I was a member of the local fly dressers guild, Commonwealth Fly Dressers Guild, and I can remember one of the chaps saying, "Do you fancy having a go at competition fishing?" Well, you know, I didn't know what it was about, and I can remember. And taking me to Draycott Water. It was a Fly Dressers Guild match against the London branch. And um, that was my first sort of test of competition fishing. I caught three fish. I still remember those fish today. Two of them were brown trout, caught my ship with buzzers. And that's what got me going. I just loved the sort of challenge, the excitement. I was in a boat with someone that I didn't know. And, you know, I learned a lot from them. And that um, sort of followed up with the following year fishing a competition called the John Watt uh, at, at, at Rutland. And I'd, I'd read so much about Rutland and the North Arm and South Arm and the base, and I was so excited to suddenly, <clears throat> you know, to be there. And I got with this chap from the Falkirk uh, Fly Dressers Guild, and I, I always remember sort of, you know, sitting down saying, right, well, he was on the engine. Where are we going? We're going to the North Arm. We're going to the South Arm. Where are we going? Where are we going? I was, you know, I, I was so excited about being there. And yeah, yeah. sort of shotgun started the match, and, all the boats went, and we were still in the, in the, in the dock. I said, well, where are we going? Where are we going? He said, I've been here all week practicing. He said, I've been up the North Farm, I've been up the South Farm, been in the basin. He said, and I've struggled to catch a lot of fish. He said, until I came in last night, I saw a bank angler catching off these rocks here outside the jetty. Right. We went round the corner between the jetty and Normanton Church, and we both backed up. And as, as a team, we came second. His team came first. And that's what really got me going, because within a short period of time I had some success you know I'd come second yeah, in this major yeah. competition you know and it got me going and from there I fished the Benson Hedges eventually started to get into um, some of the qualifiers 
um, Rockstar qualifiers and then made quite a few finals. Got my first cap at Menti many, many years ago. So, yeah, it's, I've enjoyed it. I took a break when the, when, the, when the kids were here and then just recently got back into it again, joined the sort of bank qualifiers. And I think uh, certainly in England here, Lee Cartmel's done a, a great job and with that competition and, and I've really enjoyed it. Really yeah. enjoyed um, getting back into it and was quite successful last year. It's really exciting, mind, when, you, when you're in a competition and you're in an area where your dog wants to join in, I think, the chap, you know, does he? <laughs> I, I, think that, I think someone's just knocked on the door, so... Uh, <laughs> Do you want to answer it? Yeah, someone... Uh, I'm going to... I'll see, I'll see what it is. Yeah, yeah. Hold on a sec. Hey, the postman. Right, just let me... Uh, no bills, I hope. <laughs> fishing tackle, probably. The dog's quite keen to see what, what it is. Don't be for you, Tarka. <laughs> okay, lovely. Uh, yes, fishing tackle. Oh, that's for good. Review. For review, yeah, is it? For review in the magazine, yeah. So oh, that's a nice position to be it. in, having people sending you fishing gear to review as well. Yeah, it's, it's nice, and it's nice to see sort of some of the innovations and some of the product that's coming out. And yeah, you know, I was out on yesterday just trying a couple of uh, new Witchwood rods, you know, and it is nice to sort of, oh, uh, right. you know, get your hands on and on, on some new bits of kit and you know get out there and use them. So yeah, uh, yeah. yeah I'll open that. Once we cool. finish, what's Yeah, going back to the competition fishing, I've got I've gone off the boils the last ten years of I just love my pleasure fishing up. One thing that used to get a buzz, I remember fishing as an example, Bull Water many years ago. Um, I can't remember what competition it was now, but anyway. And there was this guy with me and I didn't know who he was, and he says and everyone was going all these different places. And then we went up to this little dam. I can't remember the name the name of the bay you now. But you were hidden away. Yeah. So people in the main lake couldn't see you. And we went up into this little bay, up to this little dam, and we were the only boat there. And do you know what? It was like mm. a jacuzzi, the fish moving. And you were yeah. having yeah. fish, missing fish, and it was like the buzz, excitement, and you know when you're catching these fish and there's no one around. Yeah. Because usually in a comp, yeah. as soon as you're into fish, they all come in, you know, closer and closer, and then you end up, and there's boats all around you. There's nothing. There's no excitement better than catch and knowing that no one's around you, isn't it? Yeah, I had a similar experience to that at Hallmark uh, in one of John Horsey's qualifiers, and uh, I can remember again not going to practice, and um, because the water had, had gone sort of pea green, and the fishing had been hard, so I thought, well, I'll just turn up anyway. And because the open water was outside the lodge, i.e., the clearer water, all the boats were there, and we were picking fish up, you know, occasional fish. And then I noticed the pleasure boat go out and it went out of the sort of boat jetty all the way up to the top end of, of a four mark. Uh, I don't know what the top end's called. I've got something off the top of my head. Yeah. But an hour later, it hadn't come back and the wind had changed and the sort of area which was clear was starting to colour up a bit. So I said to my boat partner, I said, that boat's not come back. So we made the decision to go where no one had caught fish on practice and then my boat partner was a bit reluctant saying look there's nothing up there there's nothing up there we've caught nothing it's, it's, it's you know it's green it's hard it's... we got up there and when we got up there we saw this pleasure boat catching a fish and the water would because the wind direction had changed was starting to clear up and the algae was being pushed and suddenly the fish popped up and they were everywhere absolutely everywhere and we sat there and we fished i think in the end i, I had 20 and my boat partner had sort of 12 or 14, I can't remember now. We oh. came in and 
the next best score was four, fours and fives, and people couldn't believe it, but we couldn't believe it. You know, it was like someone had switched the fish on. It was like a, you know, it was like a, uh, a stew pond. There were fish everywhere. And we caught them off the top. We caught them on hoppers, just flicking them out, giving them a bit of a twitch, and the fish would come up and eat them. And for sort of three hours in that afternoon, it was it was unbelievable, unbelievable fishing. It's brilliant you know, when it all comes together the, like that, doesn't it? Yes, yes, definitely. Coming off the boat with a bag of fish, knowing that everyone is saying, oh, no good, no good, and then you've got a big smile on your face. The flip side of all yeah. this then, I remember, yeah. as an example, I fished Loch Melvin. I don't know if you fished Melvin in uh, in Ireland. No. And the practice days, we were having, oh, enough to lose count. You know, you're just, you're just having silly amounts of fish. Because you're fishing not only in the sides for the, the browns and the, the gillaroos, you've got these sonachan which are in the middle of the lake and the shoals of them. So you're drifting in a big wave, open water, and having two and three fish in a cast. He was like, brilliant. I even had a salmon the day before on the on the mm. drift. Yeah, yeah. So you can imagine, I was so excited now for the international day. And do you know what? You wake up the next morning, it was flat calm, bright sun, nothing like what we'd practised. And then it was just that we flopped. You know, we um, I didn't. I think I had one fish. It was a nightmare. But um, that's the ups and downs of competition fishing, I guess. Well, it is. And I can remember fishing a team competition final at Brennig, and all the fish in practice were at um, Tower Bay, drifting onto Tower Bay. Yeah. And I remember one of our team getting um, drawn with Russ Owen. We said, oh, you've got Russell and you've got the world champion. You'll be, you know, you'll be all right there. And he said, I can't believe it. He wants to go down the Brennig arm. He wants to go down the Brennig arm. I've told him he's got two hours down there. And if we're coming back up here to Tower Bay, because everyone knows the fish are at Tower Bay. And the fish have been in Tower Bay. Yeah. All the boats went to Tower Bay, bar this one, which went down, which was uh, Russ and uh, my pal. They went down to the Brennig arm. And the fish are switched off. There was just nothing at Tower Bay. It, it was impossible to catch. And then at the end, when we came in, my mate and, and Russ Owen had obviously been down the Brennig Arm and they backed up. They caught they? the fish, got the fish. And, you know, there were one broke boat that broke away, got down there, they'd caught, and everyone else, you know, we were all drifting in and out, in and out of, of Tower Bay and all the way along that sort of side there to the quarry, you know, trying to find these fish that were there in the hundreds the day before. They yeah. Me, you know, so off, gone. And it's having the balls yeah, so to, to make the decision, you know, knowing there's fish somewhere. And, you know, like, like I've fished competitions on Rutland over the years. And I, you, you almost know if you stay by the dam in the basin, more often than not, you might get your, your bag of fish. And they'll all be like the two-pound fish. And then do you mm. gamble? Do you go up the top of the north arm or the south arm? With three or four fish, will outweigh, your, your, you know, yes. the fish by the basin. So and mm. it, it's, it's mm. paid off sometimes and sometimes it hasn't. But um, yeah, but, it, it paid off in this, this year's Sierra pairs, didn't it? It was Rob Edmonds and Andrew Scott went up the North Farm and did they? You know, found some big fish up on those wee beds and you know brought fourteen back to the scales and they beat everyone else's the other four or five boats that had backed up. You know, so uh, yeah, you know, and, and it's, it's like you say sometimes it, those those decisions, you know, they they pay off and they work. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But as regards the the small water bank championship. No, that, that's that's a totally different ball game, isn't it? So I, I was lucky enough, I can't remember how many years ago now, to, to get a couple of caps for England. We fished at uh, Garland Fluid and we fished at Lockton, Scotland. 
and that was probably when my kids were, were quite young. And then, as I say, I had a break from it for a while, came back into it uh, last year, fished the qualifiers, got through it, my local venue at Ellerdine. The final was on there, so I fished the final, and I won that. And then we then headed to Ireland for the international, and we got gold as a team. You know, I got best individual and actually caught the longest fish as well. So it was it was quite a successful year last year. But uh, I had a little break from it for a while because it was just at one point, you know, it was just it was just too much. You know, we were a young family, work and everything else. It was just too much to, to, to keep sort of, you know, I did all three disciplines with the bank, with the river and with the lock style, you know, and I fished for a couple of teams as well. And at one point it was, it was just too much. I know. And, uh, I took yeah. a break from it for a while. Um, and came back to it this year and was really impressed with, with how things were, were run from a sort of angling trust team England point of view. The team that we were, with, were in in Ireland was probably one of the best teams I've ever fished with. And I think that was one of the reasons why we were so successful. It was just a great four or five days in, in Ireland. You know, so the bank sort of thing is, is you know, it, I suppose it's been my bread and butter really in terms of, you know, having the fishery and growing up on a, on a small still water. How did you come about to get the top rod? What method did you use on that day? For the, the the national or the international? The international. Or both. <laughs> the international, we, we practiced hard as, as, as a team. And, and I think probably with most forms of fishing, my view on, on a trout taking the flies, it takes it through because it thinks it's a, a food, so we're matching the hatch. It takes it through aggression, or it takes it through you know curiosity. And I think over that sort of period of practice, we realized that um, aggression was going to form one of the sort of key tactics for us. So, you know, I've got a couple of Zonka patterns which work really, really well, and um, they worked on practice. So for us practicing, once we got a couple of methods working, we came off it and stopped doing it. And every now and then, one of us would try it just to get the confidence. So fishing a, a, a Zonka on its own on a um, intermediate line was one of the tactics. Um, we used the slime lines, clear intermediate lines. Um, using the indicator, so sort of looking at sort of curiosity. One of the guys have got a, a pack called a chamois, um, and we've got some small leg flies. They work really well. And again, we found on the first day of practice that we were working, so we came off them. Occasionally, someone would go in and try it just to make sure things were working. And then we, we, we also realized that we were fish to be caught on the surface that would come for small flies. And we could see that a lot of teams were fishing CDC patterns. And we tried that, and we got interest, but we wouldn't commit. So we found that small shipments buzzers worked quite effectively. The fish were more confident just to sort of break the surface rather than actually rise and take the fly. Yeah. So we'd, we got three tactics, which we'd, we'd all got confidence in. Uh, a couple of shipments, a chamois or an egg fly under the bung, and pulling donkers back through quite quickly. And for me, on that match day, for the team, we were confident in our tactics we'd, we'd, we'd worked and played hard together and we'd had a really enjoyable week and when it came to match day I'd got a peg which had fished on practice I'd caught off and I got off to a good start um, I got uh, a couple of fish off there quite quickly and that gave me the confidence to get going and on the next peg I knew it'd been difficult um, not, not many fish had come out of it and again I caught off that and I knew that my third peg, when I got there, the controller said that no one had caught off it. I caught off that. And by that time, you know, I'd got the confidence and I knew that, you know, if I kept going, that, you know, as an individual, I'd catch, you know, I, I would catch fish. I'd got confidence in all the methods. And at, uh, at the halfway stage, we came back in and um, obviously 
people were topping the scores up, and we knew that we were we were out in front. And uh, you know, in the afternoon, the England team we, we kept catching. You know, that confidence grew and grew and grew. And eventually, I, I fished my last peg, and the controller said to me, "There's only been one fish caught off this peg all day, and that was this morning. No one's had a fish off it this afternoon." And I knew that I would catch off it. And it was the confidence, you know, the confidence yeah. in, in the flies, the confidence in the techniques and the tactics, you know, and I, I caught, I think off my last peg, two fish, and I lost another one. And the controller said, you know, no one else caught off it. And, you know, by that time, those fish had seen a lot of flies, had had a lot of pressure, and, you know, I just changed my tactics, concentrated on the margins, and, and picked fish up, you know, fishing right under your feet, as opposed to, you know, launching out, 20, 30 yards and fishing water, which is doing a lot of lines, a lot of pressure on it. So fishing the less pressured waters in the afternoon, you know, worked for me. And yeah. uh, in the end, we were, as a team, we were successful. You know, I was successful as an individual. And, you know, it was just a great, great experience. A great four days away with, you know, five or six uh, guys from the team who were, you know, great company. It was, it was probably one of the best experiences, of, you know, I've, I've ever had. And that was last year? That was last year, yeah. 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 So this year they didn't have it. They they can't. I think it's supposed to be. Is this Menteith? The Bank National, sorry, International should have been at Garnfield in Wales, but because of COVID, it, it, it's been um, it's, it's postponed until until next year. But as, as England on the bank side of things, we we have um, we've managed to, to do our qualifiers and our semi-finals. So. Um, Final now is, is is in May next year at Chickborough, which is uh, that's right. Essex. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we, we're just in between this, this this sort of recent lockdown. The, the second semi final has just gone on, gone on at Eleanor. So at least now we know who's in that final. And hopefully, you know, COVID permitting, you know, we can get our English national final done next spring. And, and again, fingers crossed that the Bank International goes ahead at uh, at Garnfield next next autumn, next October. Yeah. That's a lovely water. It's relatively local to me. It's only about an hour away. Yeah, I, I fished there. That was my first um, bank international there, and I was really impressed. You know, and I've since been back there and done a couple of features. I did one with Jamie, total fly fish, quite a few years ago, and it, it is an impressive fishery. It's well looked after, well maintained. He's got everything he wants. You know, it, 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 there's plenty of fish in there, a mix of sizes and a mix of species. And a great breakfast. <laughs> yeah, as I remember. I think I did stay in the accommodation on site when I did the feature there. Oh, you know, right. and it is a, a, a superb, a superb still water fish tree. You know, yeah. it's just that Jamie runs, you know, and his family. It's just, it's, well, it's a, it's a great water, great water. I think that part of the reason is, is because Jamie's a fisherman. A lot of these top waters, the owners uh, or the managers, I think that helps in making the fishery a success then as well. I, I would agree with that. Yeah, if you look at um, you know some of the waters which are good and successful and, and are still here, you know the, 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 there's an angler behind them somewhere. You know you've, you've got to look at what uh, uh, Russ and guys have done at uh, Chloe Dock. Yeah, know, yeah. Uh, that was a fish which ten years ago you know you never even heard of and looked at it now and it's it's become probably one of the well the top fish in Wales if not the whole of the UK and it's because you've got two very good anglers there. Yeah. You know, who know what the anglers want, you know, and yeah. I suppose local to me, same with Elodine, you know, you've got Ed, Ed Upton, you know, who, who, who has fish competitions in, in the past, you know, and it is an angler and family there where angling is a big part of their life. You've got Jane and the, the two lads who do fish as well, you know, and I think when you've got that, they know, 
you know, probably closer to what the angler wants than maybe someone who, you know. Of all the years I've worked for Trowfish and done the features, I've never, ever been to Ellendine. It's like one that slipped through the net. I'll have to make an effort next year if restrictions allow, which I hope it will be. Yeah, one of the things I like about Elodine is is it reminds me of of my parents' fishery and, and the fact that you know the family are there and involved in it. You know, and you you can go and have a you know a chat with Jane about <coughs> you know everything from fishing to you know everyday life, and then Ed will pop down and have a bit of a chat about you know fishing and farming, and then one of the lads will come down and and you know take a look at your casting and what you're fishing, and and, and you know so it, it's that sort of um, social side of it. I think there, you know. There's, there's a good bunch of regular anglers there and it's it sort of that family feel to Elodine I think for me is, is one of the reasons I, I like going and certainly with my two boys getting into fly fishing they love it as well you know and that they love it and, and the fact that you know Jane will, will make a bit of a fuss with them and give them a kind of pop and a twix and come yeah. and have a chat with them you know? yeah, and yeah. that makes uh, makes a bit of a difference you know and yeah, yeah. Uh, you know for me you know nice to hear my kids saying well can we go to Elodine you know because is Jane going to be there and he, you know will she come out and talk to us and yeah. the, you know I suppose for a 13 year old lad an 8 year old lad you know is she going to bring me a Mars bar out you know it's, 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 it's part of just what for they you. like about it <laughs> <laughs> yeah I don't know. you're not having that I'm having that you won't eat the tea I end up eating it <laughs> yeah so as regards um, if you come on to today's fly fisher then how did you start with the mag being involved with it so if you sort of rewind the clock a little bit, um, I used to write for Total Fly Fisher uh, when Steve Cullen was editor. And I met Steve the first time on River D in a, in a um, Rivers qualifier. And we got chatting after a few beers, and Steve said, well, you know, come and write for the magazine. I'd like you to write for the magazine. And I thought, well, perhaps it was beer, you know, pub talk. And, you know, the following day, he, he sort of emailed me and said, look, Andy, you know, let, let's get together, you know, come up with some ideas. So I started writing for the magazine and, you know, I sort of became a sort of monthly contributor and would go all over the place fishing. And it was a great experience, you know, um, going out with Steve, we had quite a lot of laughs and I enjoyed doing it. You know, I, I had no editorial experience, no writing experience. You know, I'd come from a sort of education, side management background. So, so I started writing for the magazine and then I can remember Steve um, ring me one day saying that he was leaving and was um, you know heading to Witchwood and that you know would I be interested in sort of filling his boots well I'd sort of had 15 16 years of, of teaching and I thought well you know another 12 months of teaching is not going to make any difference to my CV whereas if you know I had to go up being an editor of a magazine then I've got something different on my CV and yeah. it was at that point in time where magazines were sort of starting to show that sort of you know started the decline and I thought well I'll give it a go I've got nothing to lose I'll give it a go so I, I took it on and I always remember the first sort of day starting you know Roger Mortimer saying here's the camera here's a here's a Mac you know here's a phone off you go you're going to Bratham with David Hoppy on Sunday to shoot a feature well I've never used a camera I, I, I was com- com- completely clueless really? out of when um, you know taking a few pictures I think I must have taken about a thousand pictures that day hoping that you know, six or seven would be good enough in the magazine. So, uh, and that was my start. You know, I worked on it up to, uh, closely with Roger. Steve helped in those initial sort of first issues to make sure that, you know, I didn't destroy it. Uh, and we, we sort of got going. Now, you know, that was that point in time where, you know, the magazines were slowing down a bit and we sort of stabilised Total Fly Fishery. It got a good following and I had three years there. And then 
DHP was bought out by uh, a company who, when they came in, closed some of the magazines. Thankfully, mine wasn't one of those. I put the case forward to keep it going. And uh, we got, you know, so we, 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 you know, Total Fly Fishing continued. And eventually, the owners made a decision that they only wanted to keep a couple of the magazines and two of the trade magazines. And mine, along with the remaining few that were there, were, were, were closed. So that was in December, a couple of weeks before Christmas. You know, I was without a job. I had a lot of feedback from readers who were sad to see it go. And at that time, there was a, there was a chap called Wes Stanton who was interested in buying Total Fly Fisher, but uh, couldn't. They wouldn't allow him to buy it. So we made a decision in the new year to, to, to um, set up our own fly fishing magazine. And that's where today's, today's fly fishing came from. So we used the original name. Total Fly Fisher, when it first started out, was called uh, Today's Fly Fisher. Yeah. Try and keep some kind of continuity. And we had to start from scratch. We've got nothing. So we started off with a website and got a website up and going, putting content on there. Um, and just trying to sort of put some feelers out. And then we decided to, rather than doing a monthly magazine, that we'd look at doing a quarterly magazine and to look at something which was more of a sort of bookazine, coffee table kind of feel, you know, a nice quality magazine which people would keep. You know, yes. I suppose we've all been in that situation where we bought monthly magazines and I've bought all of them over the years. You keep them for so long and then you end up, it's like, well, what do we do with all these magazines? And, you know, I suppose I, like many people, you end up putting them in the recycling and off they go sort of thing. Yeah. Um, but we wanted something which, you know, anglers could keep. And, I certainly found towards the end with the total fly fisher, it was very difficult to continue to, you know, find fresh content. You know, I'd got a great bunch of contributors. I mean, some of the guys, Ben Bangham, Clark Coleman, who wrote on a monthly basis, I, I just don't know how they did it, how they could keep coming up with good quality, fresh content on a monthly basis. You know, it amazed me. You know, it's I have to pressure, isn't it? me writing myself for, for, for so long. So, yeah, so today's fly fishing was born. We started off with this 132-page, good content, nice quality, nice paper. And we, we looked at this quarterly magazine, and that's where today's fly fishing came. So Wes is the sort of the guy who's, I suppose, is, is really behind it. You know, he's the guy who's sort of, uh, you know, uh, he's financing it. And within that, um, we were lucky to get one of the designers from the HP who was made redundant, a, a guy called Mark Rafton, I call him Charlie. Uh, and, and Charlie... Is, is probably, you know, he's a superb designer and he's yeah. what makes that magazine look as, as good as it is. It's, you know, we work together closely on, on, on that, but, you know, sometimes well, he does, he overrides me quite a bit on what pitches we put in. And, and I'm just so fortunate that the contributors from Total Fly Fishing came across and I've got such a diverse range of people who contribute to the magazine. You know, I would think that 60% of those who, probably 70% of those who contribute now followed me across from Total Fly Fisher. We've yeah. got one or two new contributors in. But I think with a quarterly now, it, it's less pressure on those contributors. So, you know, they've not got to think of something different, you know, every single month to put in there. And, and I suppose within that, they can be, you know, maybe a little bit more creative in, in what they do and what they're covering. And, and you know, so far, you know, we're sort of working on issue 10 now with, you know, two and a half years down the line. Uh, it's uh, It really is special. The, the quality is like nothing out there. I mean, even down to the paper, you know, it, it feels good. And it's got, like you said, that coffee coffee table look. And the content is good. It's something you just want to pick up. And it, I think it's sad yeah. in these yeah. days where everything is online and, 
you know, all the everything's instant. Now you just want to ask a question. Is there? You can't beat a quality magazine, like you know, and the design is fresh, is clean, is contemporary. It, it it is. It's it's. I love it. Yeah, you know, we we have a lot of feedback. I think um, you know, ninety nine point nine percent of people who feedback to us on the magazine, it, it, it's the same. You know, I mean, I've even had sort of a wise of anglers emailing me saying, you know, this magazine you've produced, it, it, it's, it's beautiful, it smells nice. You know, one lady said, you know, the, the smell of the paper is lovely. You know, what a lovely magazine. It's so much better than, you know, what my husband usually sort of uh, reads and looks at. So, you know, we, we, we've had a lot of good feedback. We do struggle with things such as, you know, getting the magazine out there. You know, we the three of us have got full-time jobs elsewhere. We all work on other different things. And, and sometimes, yeah, it, it takes us you know, maybe a couple of days to process an order, and we do struggle a little bit with that. But, um, you know, magazines, it's its a difficult market, and um, it's not a market which is growing. But I certainly remember, you know, my last two or three days teaching fishery management to young people between the ages of 16 and 18. Most of these young people were carp anglers, but, you know, I was forever telling them up until the last day of teaching, can you put that carp magazine away and I always think about that because if a 16 and 18 year old young lad is buying a cart magazine then that tells me that there is still a market for print magazines yeah, yeah. because the, the younger generation is prepared to buy one you know roll it up and stick it in the bag and read it on the bus when they come to college or when they're in classic college or at lunchtime so I think there's, there's a, there is a demand there it's nowhere near what it used to be. I, I think what's good with the magazine is you can, there's credibility there for the people who are writing, the anglers who are writing, the contributors, because in effect they vet vetted, you know, and the names and experienced anglers. Yeah, I, I think, you know, everyone that writes for the magazine, for me, you know, is, 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 is you know, someone who's got some experience within fly fishing, whether they've been successful on the competition circuit, whether they're you know, part of the fly fishing industry, whether they work as a, as a guide, a river keeper, a fishery manager, you know, so, uh, you know, it, it, I've always chosen, you know, people who are, are, are working, in, you know, in the industry or who are out fishing regularly, who are competing at a high level, yeah. you know, because their experience and knowledge is, is what we're all after, you yeah. know, so when you've got... Um, you know, someone like Tom Doc Sullivan, who's, you know, writing about fishing on the Irish locks, you know, you know, what you're getting it is absolute quality because that guy's guiding on there. He's, he's got, he's got the Irish locks through, he's flowing through his veins. You know, this guy is passionate about fishing Corrib and, and, and those locks. You know, he loves it. You, you know that you get that passion and that knowledge and that interest, you know, coming through. And, you know, it's it's the same with with, with, with you know with all the people that sort of write with the magazine. You know, I hope that that sort of comes out. And I suppose with, with the magazine, what I've always wanted is is that you know hopefully someone will pick that magazine up and it inspires them to go out. It inspires them to you know they might have just read a feature on fishing in Australia, but whilst they might not go there, it might mean that they pick up the rod and pop to Elodine Lakes and go and have a few hours fishing. Yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. It's inspired them to yeah. go out and. I'm very keen to um, to bring new people in. One of the things I wanted to do with the magazine was to make sure that we had regular contributions from young anglers. Yes. So, you know, we, we have um, that favourite flies issue and we have every issue, you know, something from a, a, a young angler. 
that we, you know, also have something from ladies, you know, so make sure that each issue that there is something in there to, to, to showcase that fly fishing is, is, you know, is such a diverse uh, pastime and it appeals to, you know, uh, to everyone. Yeah, whether yeah. You're, you're six or, or, or you're, you know, you're 60 or 70, 80 or whatever, whether you're male, female, you know, that there's something there, you know, that fly fishing is, is that sport which can engage everyone. Do you do much on you rivers? Know, um, do I? Yeah. yeah, I do. It's probably um, something I'd like to do a little bit more of. You know, I have, on a comp- competitive side of things, moved um, and, and got to the sort of national finals on the river scene. And I do do uh, a bit on rivers, but living in Stafford, you know, I'm a bit, we're sort of, the Derbyshire rivers are, are not easy to get on. I spend yes. a lot of time you know, coming across the border and fishing the Welsh Sea, and I love it. I, I love it. And, you know, seeing a, a grayling, rise for a dry fly, you know, is, is, is something that, you know, sticks with you. You know, I always remember the first grain on a quarter dry fly, you know, and watching it come up and take it, it was like, well, you know, I, I could see it. It's comfy taking the fly, you know. And so I, I do like the rivers, but it's, you know, it's finding the access, it's finding the, the opportunities to get on those rivers. Um, but I do enjoy certainly the Welsh D, the Darwish wine, you know, in, in the past I used to enjoy going on there. But I suppose like with anyone else who likes fly fishing, you, you, I mean, I could go every day of the week, but uh, work and yeah. home life, you know, it, it stops you from, you know, from, from doing that. Yeah, I, yeah. Do, I do like river fishing. Um, ever, ever since the age yeah. of 12, when I first picked up a fly rod, I was just mad on lakes. I was definitely, uh, you know, that was my passion, lakes. Not really rivers, I've done a bit. And I've done some press trips even to Sweden and uh, many places and fished rivers but it, it's lakes is my passion but after saying that you can ignore when you're just flicking around instagram and you've seen all these pictures of these grayling every everyone's catching grayling now two pound three pound grayling yeah. and i think were, yeah. were they around then and they kept it quiet or is it because of instagram now everyone's showing what's around so this winter now, I'm gonna. We have got some great rivers. With the Taff, for instance, you know, we've got some fantastic yeah. grayling there. So I'm gonna have a few days to see if I can get into something nice on this grayling. You know, it was always the, the sort of poor man's game fish or the ignored game fish. I, I don't know what sort of term to use really, but I suppose in, in recent times, it's it's almost come up the table. It, it, you know, I, I see it now as almost potentially the number one sort of game fish. Yeah. You know, for so many years that 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 fish was persecuted, you know, by, you know, people who manage river fisheries that, well, you know, we, we need to remove the grayling because they're doing, you know, this damage to, you know, trout spawning to salmon spawning, we need to remove them, you know, and, and now it's almost, you know, it's almost hail the grayling, which is great, you know, and I've got a feature coming in this next issue by Chris Kent, who, you know, talks a little bit about that and the emergence of the grayling society, you know, you think the species which, you know, 20 years ago, 30 years ago, sort of persecuted is now it's like you know people are out there you know yeah. after the like you say these 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 special fish and there's nothing better than you know catching a 30 40 centimeter grayling you know and it's dorsal thing up it goes and it starts heading downstream you think on a freeway you think flipping it you know what have we got on here you know that they're they're a, they're a special fish they're real special fish yeah are they crying out for photographs i mean like you see that when our dorsal fin is out you just can't wait to take that photograph, mm-hmm. can you? It's really a beautiful-looking yeah. fish. Yeah. And it's, it's yeah. not so much the fish itself, it's yeah. the techniques. And it's very visual, again. You're waiting 
to, to see the takes. It's something which I will get into. I noticed you, you do some work for the Anglin Trust as well, don't you? What's the story with that? So I um, work two and a half days a week with the Anglin Trust on a short-term contract uh, until March uh, 2021. And I work in the competition side of things as a support officer, focusing mainly on, on fly fishing competitions. 2020, as you know, has been a, a, a sort of unbelievable year in terms of, of what's gone on. And I've sort of found myself in a starting position, you know, putting together a plan for 2020 and, you know, planning a range of sort of competitions, talent pathways, um, for young anglers, um, putting a program of events to, together to find that in 2020, in the latter half of the year, having to cancel them all again. Yeah. So it's been a strange old year, you know, with that. But on the positive side of things, you know, we have managed to run a couple of competitions. They've been very successful, you know, and to look at different ways that we're doing things. You know, I suppose when I first started competition fishing, certainly on the lockstyle side of things, it, it was, you know, we were fishing to these eight fish kill, you know, kill eight fish, you bring them to the scales. And, you know, and, and we've seen over the years, and most of our fisheries, that um, catch and release has become a, a big part of what we do. And I suppose, you know, what I've been looking at over the last 12 months is how we can incorporate that into the competition side of things, you know, and how yeah. we can look at maybe having competitions which are solely catch and release. We do that on the rivers, you know, we do it on the bank. If we're in sort of lock style fishing, you know, there's this sort of like, well, you know, we need to kill eight, two, three fish to, 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 to you know, maybe decide who, who, who the, the best angler is. So, you know, this year we ran two um, lockstyle competitions which were based on all the mountain bank side of things where you're timing your first three fish that you catch and you release them. It's based on the sort of numbers catching, anglers catch. So you're running a comp which the anglers can fish all day rather than catching eight fish and maybe bagging up in a couple of hours and they're sitting in the boat, tied in the boxes for the rest of the day. Uh, and to look at that format and look at different ways of doing stuff. And I have got ideas as to, you know, how we can maybe develop that. Because, you know, catch and release fishing seems to be what most people want to do now. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, so uh, the Angling Trust took me on for what was probably a, an 18-month contract to raise the profile of fly fishing competitions to look at running slightly different formats, different styles. And, you know, that, that's sort of what I came in to do. But, you know, with COVID, we've not really been able to, you know, fulfill some of those things. And I think what I'd like to see a lot more of within competition fishing, and we, we, we talked about it there with, with fisheries, is, is to engage those anglers more, you know, and get feedback from anglers. Now, those people that are fishing competitions, you know, why do they fish? What, what do they want from a competition? You know, how can we develop it for them? You know, those people that have left competition fishing to find out why, how can we engage them back in and bring them back in? And yeah. also to, you know, those people who are thinking about it, you know, how can we bring them in? You know, how can we bring new people into that part of our sport? Because... You know, I think, I think for me, one of the big things with competition fly fishing is what you've learned, you know, and I've learned so much and I've met so many great people and I look at the sort of positives I've had from the from competition fishing and it, it far outweighs some of the negatives I see on, on social media and, and push those positives and, and, and showcase that competition fishing. You know, some of the people I, I fish with now, I've met on the competition circuit. I would never have met them otherwise. And I've, I've got probably got, as, as with you, you know, a, a good... Uh, number of friends who I fish with on a pleasure basis who I met on the competition scene. Yeah. You know, and, and some of the tactics and techniques that you see on flies, 
you know, I've had from that competition team. So, you know, my work with the Englands Trust, my contract comes in in March. You know, I, I, I'm looking now at sort of putting a plan together as to, you know, like where I would like to see competition fly fishing going in, in, in England. And, you know, I would like to involve those anglers. I'd like to see working groups where you've got on a lock style side of things, maybe six or eight lock style anglers who are competing regularly to get their views and input. The fisheries that we work with, so the fishery managers from Chew, from Angling Water, from um, Ivor Jones's Water, to, to bring people like I, John Harrison, Angela Tarian, people like Ed Foster, people like Ed Upton, who are managing fisheries which are, are hosting competitions, to bring them in, you know, um, to get their thoughts as to, you know, the direction of competition fishing, you know, and to have working groups and, and look at how we develop that and move things forward. Because, you know, I've had I don't know, 20 years of competition fishing, and I've loved it. I've absolutely loved it, you know, and there's so much that I know that if someone came into uh, fishing the competition that they'd get from it. And, and I think, uh, you know, that's something I, I, I'd like to see sort of working within England, for sure. Yeah, yeah. I remember the first few competitions I used to fish years ago was the Benson Edges. That was a big event then. That was the number one. And then, um, yeah. obviously, because of advertising then they had to pull out because they couldn't promote the cigarettes i've still got my pullover actually somewhere i think a lot of holes in it it's just stick flies in it as well you know <laughs> yeah there's one thing before we move on and before you go to unwrap your post to see what goodies you've got fishing gear there's one question i ask everyone where would you want to be to make your last cast um i think for me there is only one place, and that's going to be my parents' fishery, Martin Heath. You know, I've seen that as a field, as a wet field. I've skated on it as a kid when it used to flood, and now to see it as a trout fishery. So for me, that has got to be the place where I'd like to make my last few casts. It's a special place. You know, I, I can say I've seen it as a, you know, as a young person, as, as one lake. You know, moving to three lakes, you know, over the years, all the people that have fished there, you know, seeing my parents develop that, being part of that process. So I think it would have to be there. Which of the three pools which are there? I think it would have to be the middle one, which is Don's, which has been there longest, probably on the far side, passing towards the island. I mean, with the magazine, I've been so fortunate to have gone to, you know, a whole host of venues. I've been on the chalk streams, I've been to you know, a whole range of still waters across the UK. Malham Tarn of Yorkshire, Yorkshire Lake, you know, that's uh, sits with me as being probably, you know, the place where, you know, I probably want to make one final cast, such a special venue, to share it with, with one of my contributors, Steve Smalley. You know, we go every year now, and that's a truly magical place. But, yeah, I think for me, it's got to be my parents' fishery without doubt. That's brilliant. A full circle then. Well, many thanks for yeah. giving me your time, Andy. I've thoroughly enjoyed it. And hopefully... Um, Thank you very much for having me. We'll have uh, a couple of hours somewhere on a water maybe next year. Well, if Garth through it goes ahead, um, I'm fortunate to get through. I shall uh, should be knocking on your door, asking for some pointers and some tips. I shan't tell the Walsh team that they help me. <laughs> Don't worry about that. Yeah. <laughs> But yeah, maybe we, we yeah, let, let, let's see what uh, 2021 bit brings. You know, maybe we can uh, share a cast in the river, down yeah. down through it, or and maybe you know, we can fancy a trip up here. Absolutely. We can, we can look at something on the small waters up here. And having a, a chat over a pint sometime as well. Thanks again, Andy. 
Thank you, Kerry. Cheers, Cheers. Now. Take care. Bye now. If this is your first time tuning in, make sure you catch all future episodes by clicking subscribe via the links on my website, castingwithkerryjones.com, or via iTunes or your favourite podcatcher. If you like what you've heard on this episode, feel free to drop me a line via my website. Tell me what you've enjoyed, ask a question, or better yet, tell me what you want to hear more of in the future. And if you're looking for additional tips, tackle reviews, or venue information, or just want to see what's been hit in the back of my net lately, search up Casting with Kerry Jones on Facebook, or follow me on Instagram. And if you still want more, I'm regularly uploading video content onto the Casting with Kerry Jones YouTube channel, so just check that out and subscribe over there too. Wherever you follow, subscribe, comment or message, I look forward to catching up soon for a good fishing chat. Well, I think that's all for now. So until next time, tight lines and don't strike too soon. <laughs>